you know, it's amazing how we are actually able to create a new normal, right? You know, I, I hate the word normal because everyone's normal is different. And I feel like we're constantly, you know, modifying that normal. And right now we're in the transition, or I should say coming out of the transition of modifying it again. Hey, this is Heath Padgett, and welcome to the RV Entrepreneur Podcast, episode 101. Today on the podcast, I'm interviewing Will and Jessica from World Towning, a website, blog, and online community dedicated to helping people travel the world slowly, one hometown at a time. They travel with their two kids, Avalon and Largo, two awesome names, as well as their pet hamster named Sunshine, and are currently full-timing in Europe which I had a lot of questions about because as of yesterday, Alyssa and I booked one-way tickets to New Zealand. This spring after our next RV Entrepreneur Summit, we are going to RV in New Zealand or camper van as they call it. And then after that, we want to go to Europe and do some uh, camper vanning or caravanning. I hate that they call it different stuff in different countries. It's kind of annoying. So we had a lot of good conversation around what it's like the transition to world travel and what it's like RVing abroad, legalities of RVing abroad. So what do you do about your physical address, your driver's license, visas, and more, and whether to buy rent or use a buyback program for RVing abroad. And we talk about a lot more than that. Support for today's episode is provided by Passport America and WeBoost. Passport America is the original 50% discount camping club and something that has saved Alyssa and I hundreds, if not thousands of dollars over the past few years. Participating campgrounds will give you a 50% discounted rate for your stay, which is insanely awesome. Plus, they have an easy-to-use app that lists out nearly all Passport America locations. Considering a nightly rate for a campground could be anywhere from $25 to $100 or more per night, you can literally make your money back from using Passport America the first time that you use it. To receive three extra months on your first year's membership, go to PassportAmerica.com and use the discount code RVE. And I also want to thank WeBoost and the 4GX RV cell phone booster, which powers our internet and this podcast. The cell booster is something I wish we would have picked up the day we bought our RV because I can't tell you how many times we've been in really remote places outside of national or state parks, but we had to leave early because there was only one to two bars of Verizon and we couldn't get any work done or it wasn't fast enough to upload a podcast over Skype, which is kind of a big deal. The 4GX RV cell booster can take that signal, multiply it up to 32X, and then rebroadcast it throughout our entire RV to give us a significant boost in internet speed. This means more time in beautiful places and faster internet wherever we go. To learn more, go to weboost.com to check out all the cell boosters and products they have in stock. And if you decide that you want one, send me an email, heath at campgroundbooking.com, because they gave me a bunch of 10% discount codes, and I will give you one. And all you have to do is ask. All right, that's all for the sponsors. Let's get into today's show with World Towning. Thank you guys for being on the podcast. Thank you for having us. It's great to be here. I am uh, excited to talk with you guys, and y'all reached out and, and touched base with us, and we're just sharing a little bit about your Europe adventure in the RV right now. You've got your two kids with you. No pets in the RV, just four of you guys? We do. We have a pet. <laughs> oh, you do have a pet as well. What What is the pet? I'm almost embarrassed to admit that we're traveling with a pet in an RV as well, but a hamster. Our hamster's name is Sunshine, and he is one year old. Honestly, I would have been surprised if you didn't have a pet. I feel like the more kids you have, the more pets are going to be included. It's like you either have a ton of people in an RV or just two people in an RV. It's very, very few people travel without their pets. Well, Sunshine was a compromise because the kids wanted a dog, and then we said, well, maybe a cat, and we're like, we need something smaller because we don't know how we're going to do this thing in the RV to begin with, but if we have a dog or a cat running around here too, I mean, it sounds 
a little overwhelming at this point. I think we could do it now, but we're trying to figure out whether whether the hamster needs a visa or not, though. But so far, so good. <laughs> I was about to say, if one of the kids suggested a Great Dane, I'm not sure how a hamster was a compromise. It's like, well, you're either going to get nothing or a Great Dane, so we're going to get a hamster. It's a happy medium, guys. We'll be happy with this. All right, so to to kind of kick it off and give context, I really want to dig in and talk about what it's been like traveling Europe. But can you give a little context of what you guys are building with World Towning and why? All right, I'll take that one. Will and I are starting on our fourth year of slow travel. Tomorrow's actually our anniversary. And the whole planning process to travel like this was completely overwhelming for Will and I. We were working our day jobs. We were parenting. We were helping with um, homework. We had play dates and birthday parties and engagements and all this stuff. And we it took us... 12 months to plan to be able to do this, selling all of our stuff, figuring out medical care, figuring out how to homeschool. And it was horrible. You know, my mom got me a necklace during the process that I still wear to this day that says, find joy in the journey. Because Will and I were just beside ourselves, like never sleeping, working all hours on all kinds of blog posts and podcasts, trying to figure this out and connect with people. And several years into the slow travel, we said, oh my goodness, why don't we help people do this? Why don't we help them in the planning process, you know, and make their life easier? Because the reality of it is you're going through all this planning process and then you get to this, this new place you're going to live and you think it's going to be rainbows and unicorns. And more times than not, there's a transition period. So if you've worked really hard for a year and you're like, okay, I'm ready to relax and you get there and it's overwhelming and you don't have the energy to kind of pull you through those first couple months and be positive because you're so exhausted. You know, so we decided to create World Towning so that we could offer this planning service of logistics, housing, medical care, tech, um, transferring everything to remote for a business, homeschooling, you, you name it, we cover it in our programs. And we have, you know, one hour consults, we have full packages, and we just launched on Tuesday our World Towning University, which is a classroom setting. So we love this life. And I will and I always say, we joke around that we created this business for purely selfish reasons because we want more people traveling. <laughs> and that's it in a nutshell. <laughs> I, I love it. And I can say that before we jumped into RVing the first time, we kind of just jumped before we leaped, I think is the saying, where we didn't really yeah. know anything about it. We didn't research anything about it. Uh, it was just us. We found an old RV, bought it, renovated it a little bit, and then hit the road and started traveling. And literally, probably like a year into it, I realized that people blogged about their adventures. Like, I didn't know that. I didn't understand that there was an RV community. So we hadn't really met or connected with anyone. I just didn't even know that that was a thing. I thought we were probably one of the only ones doing it. And so the internet's kind of a cool thing. But now that we're planning a trip to Europe, I'm finding a huge lack of resources because we're trying to figure out how do we go and do an extended RV uh, trip in Europe and the amount of resources compared for how-to articles and things like that, how to get started RVing in the US, like there's so many for every little thing you can find whatever you need. But for RVing in Europe, it's like a black hole. And I'm like, how are people doing this? I mean, I found a few scattered articles on a few blogs, but it just really doesn't seem like there's a, a very clear, easy route for, for hopping in a rig over there. It's like you can ship one, you can buy one and then sell it, but it's just... It's kind of scary. I would agree with you. I mean, would you too? Well, I don't, we, we started, I mean, we were already living in France, but we started doing research. We couldn't find anything. I mean, really 
I don't know what the difference is. And maybe people are blogging or doing, you know, sharing their information. Maybe they're not doing it in, in English. And that's why I'm not finding it. I don't, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I mean, I keep telling Jessica that she runs the blog on World Towning that we need to actually create something and put it up there because the fact is that, you know, outside of maybe some Facebook groups out there, there's really not a lot of people talking about this stuff. So we're members of Motorhome, Motorhome Adventures, is that what it's called? The Facebook group. And it's a great resource for Europe and there's a lot of members. But what there is not in that group is they're not RV entrepreneurs or people working for companies living in RVs. I don't think there's anyone in that group because I actually reached out in the group and said, is anyone traveling with children and working? I had some questions about, you know, time management and some questions about some of the tech stuff. And only one person responded and I already knew her. So I don't know if people aren't doing it, if they're not online, if they're just not sharing it. You know, it could be a cultural difference. I don't know. But there definitely is a lack in, in material compared to the U.S. Absolutely. Mm. So what were you guys doing before you guys started traveling? And what was kind of the inciting incident to go and start staying? Because you just started RVing this year, but you've been traveling for four years. So what was the whole push with jumping in and starting to go and do this at all? Like, what were you doing in your previous lives? So our previous (laughs) lives, I am a recovering accountant and Jessica is a former graphic designer. And essentially we always had the bug to travel and that was never really the issue out there. I mean, we've been, we've been looking to go full time abroad for about almost a decade at this point. Yeah. And with a nice cushy expat package because it was safe, right? Right. So I always worked for massive global organizations that had offices, you know, everywhere. And, and there were so many opportunities out there, which we almost got sent out to almost. go live in either Spain or in Germany. And something just made it not happen because it was either bad timing or the economy started tanking. And eventually we just asked ourselves, you know, how long are we willing to wait for this to happen? And I think the real the real eye opener was that when our eldest was turned nine, we realized that her time, you know, with us was half over. And we were like, wow, we really have to make this happen on our own. And Basically, long story short, I was already had a small business and been working from home for a decade. And our kids were in a French school in the United States. So I said to Will, how about I go to Paris for the summer with the kids? I work from there. You come and take some vacation. And we kind of try this out on a small scale. And long story short, his company actually let him go the whole time and work from the office there. And there were a lot of traumatic things that happened during that summer. I was really sick for weeks. Our daughter got hospitalized for mono. We lived in a small, nasty, stinky, broken toilet, you know, flat where Will and I slept on the couch. But it was marvelous. And I can actually say, you know, with all that that happened, our children grew. We grew closer as a family. When we came back to the United States, we said, okay, we got to make this happen on our own. And that's when we set the date. We said September. Okay, next September, we're leaving and we're going to go travel. So with, with all those bad things that happened, what made it marvelous? Um, well, from I'll, I'll say for mine and then I'll let Will say for me. We watched our children really grow, and it's really important for us to educate them with a global approach to life and learning about other cultures and other people. So we saw them really blossom in an environment that was not um, one that they were familiar with or born into. And it brought us closer as a family, and we ended up having more family time and learning and then also um, simplifying our life down. We lived in this awful place all summer, and, and you know— it really wasn't that awful. Like we, we realized we could survive on so much less than we had been surviving on home, so much less stuff. And it really, truly enriched our life. Right. And, and to add to that, I mean, this was the first time that we actually spent, 
you know, a significant amount of time, meaning more than two weeks away from home. And the difference that we notice between vacation traveling and what we call this as sort of extended traveling, you know, is that our surroundings became the classroom and, and there was just so much that, that the kids were absorbing that, you know, it didn't seem like, you know, that they were learning via textbook. And we, just, we, we gravitated to that so much that we knew it, it could not end. Yeah. Yeah. And your kids yeah. speak uh, three languages. Is that right? Yeah. French, Spanish and English. And they speak it really well. I saw one of the y'all's YouTube videos and I was like, oh, my gosh, I hope my kids. That's a, that's Alyssa's dream. That is. I mean, it's our dream. But she was the one who really first brought it up. She's like, I want our kids to you know, speak multiple languages. So really amazing that you guys have, you know, your kids been able to do that and take them to all these cool experiences. I'm wondering, traveling in the U.S., uh, I was talking about this on a recent episode uh, with someone named Jill. You you go out and you meet all these people and they challenge you and they open your eyes because you have these bias of who people are. And so travel really helps you experience these different cultures and you know opens yourself up. And I'm assuming that that is just magnified a lot more traveling in you know, other parts of the world. Cause for me, I've only ever traveled in the U S and Canada. And so there's a little bit of a, a fear for me to jump in and go travel in an RV in Europe. I feel silly saying that cause we've been RVing in the States, but it's like, I'm, I'm a little nervous to go travel in Europe. It's so unknown. You know what I mean? Well, you know, here's the thing that I always say about all of our travels. The, the one thing that you can always be guaranteed of having on your sides is that people are good and they're helpful and they're kind. And, you know, you we watch the media and we say, oh, my God, you know. But in all honesty, we have benefited tremendously from all the people that have been so kind to us when we don't speak the language. We don't understand the currency. We're lost on a road. I can't tell you how many times we've been driving up a one-way street going the wrong way. And no one's flipping us off and no one's honking at us. You know, people, people are really good from our experience, and we've well, this is our third continent that we've we've lived on and traveled on um, as world towners and slow travelers. People really make the transition easy because there's there's just that un kind of understood the body language and the smile goes a long way. And trying the little bit you can in the language, you know, the the please, thank you, hello, goodbye, all that kind of stuff. Well, what would you do? You yeah, want to add to I, I, would, I know, I know. It's sort of Jessica always goes back to the the loving community, and I she's do, always the I community do, person. I do because honestly, there's been so many times where I've had a lump in my throat, and the tears are right there, and someone smiles at me, or pats me on the back, or just gives me, you know, just gives me one of those looks. Where I'm like, okay, we're gonna be okay. We're gonna be okay, right? Because it is, even with us, I've been doing this on starting on our fourth year now. I'm still scared when we go places, but the people put me at ease. Right, but I'll, I'll go. Will's gonna. Well, I think Will's gonna be the. Uh, I'll make it a little more realistic now. and say and just say that people are kind yes absolutely but people are consistent it's the fact that you know if there are people who you can't stand you know in your home country there's gonna be people you can't stand in a foreign country and you know i think the you're good outweighs. i think the, no seriously, <laughs> though, i think i think i think the good outweighs the bad but you're not going to be shocked and surprised by how much happier someone is in one place versus another place <laughs> you know if there is someone who is a lousy driver and you know they get annoyed on the road that's going to happen everywhere you go uh you know the fact is you know you just don't get you know phased by it because it will happen anywhere you are and I think when all else fails, there's Google Translate, and <laughs> <laughs> and I can't tell you how much that little smiley face, you know, emoji has helped me out when I put that on and turn it towards someone or something. <laughs> I love that one. One thing that one of my friends was telling me about, he he just got back from traveling, I think in Bali, but he said that Google has this new app that you can just point at text on a wall, <gasps> yes. and that it translates yeah. like, and you can actually just read it right there on your phone. 
it is fantastic. And since we are changing countries so rapidly, it has been really, really helpful. Uh, you guys had a, a flat in different places for a while that you guys were living uh, in different parts of Europe, and now you started RVing. So what? talk to about that transition. What made you guys, instead of just renting uh, and more apartments and things like that, decide to jump in an RV and travel Europe a little bit more quickly? Let's just put it this way. When we told the kids about our travel life and what we were proposing as far as you know, leaving and, and starting something different, they wanted to jump straight into the RV. Like yes. We've gone to a couple of RV shows and, and we've seen them before and the kids were so excited. And when, when, they, when they saw the opportunity to maybe do something different, they were jumping up and down. It's like, you were going to the RV? It's like, no, we're going to an Airbnb. And, and we, the, our reason why we didn't want to start off in an RV was – First of all, we had never even spent more than a night before we before we purchased one um, in an RV. We knew nothing about it, and we were transitioning so much to homeschooling, to remote working, that we just didn't feel like we could handle taking on more, as well as funding buying um, an RV because we were making so many transitions. So we really need to go would go to a country that had a very low cost of living. Um, but we told the kids that one day we would this dream would come to fruition if all worked out well, and that one day came. <laughs> awesome. And so what does that look like? What have the past few months look like of you guys actually going from deciding that we're going to do this, the kids are on board. And I think as a kid, I would like to think that I would be stoked about RVing because it sounds cool. Uh, so what has actually been like buying the RV and how did y'all find it? Because that's been one thing that I've been struggling with for Europe is trying to figure out there's programs where you can do like a buyback program. So how have you guys figured that out? So should we be transparent or not? Because it's been a of bit course. of a bumpy road. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I'll let Will start off. He, he's got something on the tip of his tongue. No. So essentially, we, I mean, our first experience with buying an RV, when I say first, it's because there's been more than one, uh, <laughs> was we ran into a mutual acquaintance uh, through online circles and they were advertising that their RV was for sale. And we eventually met up with them and we, we got to see the inside. Now, us not knowing a thing about, you know, a, a motorhome, an RV, we didn't know what to ask we didn't know you know what to think and we didn't we probably should have done in hindsight a little more homework um we we trusted that what they said was accurate and i i think we did still did not do enough homework yeah but, but essentially we bought this and then um long story short when we went like two days after we picked it up to go get an additional solar panel installed the uh, the technician said that uh he could not realistically put it on there because the roof might cave in well basically i think it was more like he said this in french our daughter translated it i started crying will's accountant's head was going oh my gosh what have we done and i was filming the entire thing and our son was just like a deer caught in headlights like what's going on (laughs) but but the rules in france are, are are very sort of lenient towards the the buyer and and eventually you know we were able to go ahead and negotiate and get getting the money back did they give you guys like a hard time about bringing it back or no but they they no they didn't they but they did want to they want a verification so we did have to take it to a company um there were specialists that went all through it and documented everything and then sent it to them and we used a mediator there's there's many of these in the south of france and she acted as a middle person to relay the information back and forth between all of us. So we, we didn't have um, contact with them again, which I think, I think is best. It makes for a more pleasant transition. And um, once they saw the evidence, they, um, they were, they, they returned the money. Yeah. 
And how long did that process take? It's kind of a bummer. It's like you're getting excited for this big adventure and then you realize that your RV may cave in at any minute. It, I mean, honestly, it took a month. It took a month, but it was an emotional month because then we didn't know what to do. We're like, well, we don't really have the money to go buy another one. And what if we don't get this money back? And our lease is running up in our apartment and we have all these plans. And I'm going to sidetrack you for just a minute. The only way we continued and proceeded with purchasing another RV before we got the money back from this one on the hope that we were going to get the money back was we went to what we call our why, our why of traveling. And our why is our, as our children. And we wanted to continue the travel plan and the travel path. And that's basically all that pulled us through was our why and sticking to it and being strong with it. And I'll let Will take it, take it from there. Do you have something you want to add no, to that? you did great. <laughs> I mean, I, it was, I mean, I'm going to be transparent. It was an awful month. There were tears. There was stress. We had a lot of other things we were dealing with in our life. Plus, you know, trying to figure out the whole visa renewal process. It was it was not pretty at all. But we and when we went to purchase the second one, we were so scarred from it that we, we couldn't purchase from an individual sale, a uh, private sales. And we also wanted a newer RV. It's, ours is not brand new, but it's newer and has it's newer and in better condition than the original one we purchased because we were so worried. And then we went and purchased from a dealer because they have all kinds of two year guarantee and warranties. Yeah, all kinds of warranties. And, and, we, and even the little things that were wrong with it, we went back a month later and they fixed them. But even then, and we'll, we'll, of course, got this all on video. Even then, I personally had a hard time pulling the trigger. It was really hard. I just was like, oh, my gosh, what if what if this happens again? And there were a lot of questions, right? When something like this happens, it scares you, you know. But long story short, we got we got lemonade, and she has been very good to us. Uh, well, we're not, we think she's a she, but he, she, whatever she is, <laughs> um, has been very good to us. And that part of the process w- was quite traumatic, would you say, Will? Yes. But we're here. We're doing it. Yeah. Jeez. I mean – it's, you're lucky, though, that you decided to go get solar installed so quickly because you could have taken off and not known that oh any God. of this was happening. He, that is exactly what I was saying to Will. Imagine if we had just taken off, if we had gone all the way to the end of our lease and picked it up two days and take, you know, taken off and gone to northern France and found this out. Like, what would we have done? Would we have known? We had a lot of friends in the south of France that turned us on to different places to call to get support and figure out how to work through this. Would we have done that? Well, I don't know what we would have done, frankly. I mean, maybe. And what if this guy hadn't been so honest and just installed the solar panels? Mm. You know, so we were very fortunate in many ways. So I'm, I think, you know, I, I, it, it wasn't it was a horrible experience, but it had a good ending. So when you're if for somebody like me, because some of the obstacles that we've been kind of facing as we're trying to plan out our trip to Europe next year is figuring out. We looked at renting and it's just astronomically high. Like it, it's just kind of out of the question to go and rent an RV for like three to five grand a month. Like I, I don't yes, want to do yes. that because it just yep. doesn't make sense. But there are programs called like a guaranteed buyback program. I found a company called Happy Campers that does that. So have you guys looked into any of those or do you have any knowledge about those? I mean, we know about Happy Campers and we know that they're out there. You know, when we when we started looking at them and especially when we were looking at sort of getting our replacement vehicle, <laughs> we definitely looked at them. Um, but we knew that, you know, at least in, in, in France, you know, the uh, the the retailers, the, the motorhome resellers, they are held to a much higher standard than a private individual. And so you do get, you know, a lot more of the guarantees with that. And so we felt comfortable sort of going through you know, someone other than these these buyback organizations. Now, our plan is to have this um, this motorhome, this RV for you know two to three years. Yeah. And so financially, it was a better deal for us to to buy it and not do the buyback. Right. Mm-hmm. And we're comfortable that we're not going to make any long term damage. 
to we this hope. thing. We hope. <laughs> um, but you know, it's it's a good deal. I mean, if if you if you want that peace of mind, that security, you know, the, these buyback organizations are fantastic. We can only speak for France, but it's very difficult to come to France and just buy a motorhome RV, as, as they call them here, camping car. Uh, you need to have an address in order to do all the legalities associated with it. So it's not as easy as just coming here and buying an RV. It's it's much it, it presents a lot more challenges. And if you're going to be here more than a year for in France, you have to get um, a driver's license. You have to get a local driver's license. So we had been here for a year already. So we needed to get a driver's license as well. And for us, luckily, we come from a state in the United States as a reciprocal agreement. agreement with France. So all we had to do is basically turn in our U.S. driver's license and they gave us a French driver's license. Mm. So that was that was pretty it was pretty seamless. But it's not I don't know how other countries are, but it's not happy campers is a great deal because you can just come from your country, come here, buy it and get the guaranteed buyback. And there's you know, there's little stress associated with it and, and transferring of documents and all that kind of stuff. They do it all for you. As you guys are traveling around in the RV, how long is your rig? It is 6.6 meters, which equates to about almost 22 feet. It's like 21 and three quarter feet. And and have you guys, y'all, do y'all have like bikes or vests, but have y'all been taking it into cities or campgrounds? Like I know there's obviously campgrounds and I know they're much smaller in Europe, but how has that kind of worked out for you guys over there? So Will and I have a, have a difference of opinion on this question. So I'm going to let Will go first. No, I mean, my thought Will's is thought this. Will's thought is go bigger. I let, well, <laughs> let's put it this way. I mean, we see... RVs of all sizes here. They they go as low as I've seen like you know 17, 18 feet, and as big as sort of your normal class A's that you'd find in the U.S. But ours is an average size. Most people have the size we have. Ours is the average size. Maybe between 21 and 24 feet, I think, is the average size that you see around here. And the advantage to it is not necessarily the roads, because for the most part, the roads are fine. You can drive anywhere you want to. In, in We've had a couple of hairy things, but nothing major yet. Right. And, and the rotaries are, are not sort of that challenging, even for the larger ones, because if, if you know, a normal city bus can do it, then anyone can do it. But the issue is parking. So if you want to park somewhere that is you know, a little bit tighter, you know, like anything else, you know, the shorter you are, the, uh, the better you are. And, and you know, in some of these areas where... There's not necessarily a dedicated area that's outside that you can park something as tall as something more than three meters, which that seems to be sort of the, the normal. Then it's it's hard to find a spot. But mm. even at the end of the day, you would say you would say you would go bigger, right? I would go bigger because of what we're doing in here. Yeah, and see, our space is small and tight because we're running a business and homeschooling two kids, and you know, sunshine takes up a lot of space, but. <laughs> I'm just kidding. However, I can't imagine us with a bigger rig. And, and I've only driven a couple times and Will doesn't want me to drive now because someone hit me. That's that's what I'm saying. But I kind of hit someone a little bit. Only my mirror. But anyway, well, that's a story for today. <laughs> I'm, I'm blaming him. Uh, but I, I find this size really manageable, even though I'm not driving from just like Will said, parking and getting we don't have any issues turning around and parking spots. And if we go someplace on a tour or something, we're never too big. I feel like even, you know, if we went from six to seven meters, it would it would be more challenging. Hmm. And what else cities have you guys visited in Europe so far in the RV? So we're barely into the trip in the first month we spent in France. First so month we, we spent went... in France. We were in Paris for, for two weeks. Then we went up to Normandy. And we spent about a week and a half, two weeks there. Mm -hmm. And then we edged our way down through like Champagne country. And we spent about a week there. Which was really cool. I think we were only going to spend a couple of days there, but we couldn't get out. Once you get in, you can't get out. 
And then we worked our way back down to um, to where our home base was down like in the south of France. We actually had to return back to our home base in the south of France because we had to um, renew our visas. So we went back for that and then we took off again. And then from there we went to... And from there we've been sort of, we, we launched. And, and our goal is to hit every single country in Europe. So we hit a corner of Italy, then Switzerland, then Liechtenstein, then Germany, just the southern part in Munich. And now we're in Austria. So the parts, we're not going to hit every single city and every every big city in every country or anything like that. But the goal is to, to um, absorb some culture and experience a little bit of each country. Gotcha. And when you guys have been staying in places like Paris, have you all been grabbing campgrounds outside the city? Have you all been boondocking? What does that look like? I wish we could boondock. So here's the thing. Will and I were talking about this before we got on the call. You can boondock. Every place we've gone so far, you can boondock all of Europe that we've seen, any place. There's there's free Park for Nights is a great app. There's places to park. You know, you might not have the best setting and it may be in a parking lot, but they're free. We have we prefer to not be in campgrounds just because we find it a little bit stifling. However, with school and work, it is in our best interest sometimes to do a couple days a week at a campground for making laundry and dishes and all that kind of stuff easy and giving the kids some space to roam around. But so far, we had, we, we had seen on all, a lot of these online forums that it wasn't possible to boondock in Europe. And I've heard that, was it Croatia, that there's no boondocking, correct, Will? That's, that's what I've heard. But so far, we've, it's, we've been very fortunate. We've, we have not stayed in campsites that often. And usually it's not because we can't find boondocking. It's because we're desperate um, to kind of have a, be stationary so that the kids can put the desk outside, I mean, the table outside and work outside and we can spread out inside. Hmm. Gotcha. And it hasn't been like too small of a transition just being for you guys in a 22 foot rig. Like that's pretty yes, tiny. Has. Oh, it has been too small. It has been hard. Oh, it's, oh, it's been an awful transition. I mean, I, oh, wait, let's be, let's, let's, I'm being frank, right? <laughs> we, we wanted the honesty. So when we moved to Costa Rica, we had about a five to six months transition. And we never once said, oh, what did we do? Why did we do this? But we kept saying, why didn't anyone that was, you know, was mentoring us or anything tell us how hard the transition was going to be? So we're obviously at this point on a quest to be honest with people about how once you make that jump, it's not always unicorn and rainbows, you know? So basically every transition we made after that was quite seamless. You know, we kind of we finally came out of that funk and found our new normal and we're fine. Now we jump into the world of RVing and this is completely new because now we're homeschooling two kids. We've created a business and we're in 21 and a half feet. So the transition has been woo, super duper 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 hard. I think we're at a pretty good point now, but those were starting what, our four, third. We've been at three months. We've been in the RV since July 1 essentially. But it was a really, really hard transition. I mean, we're, we're working in a small space. We got all kinds of different personalities, you know, sunshine is a crazy hamster. I'm just kidding. He's not, <laughs> but, but it Will, do you want to speak about the transition a bit? I mean, Will, Will always says, and I love this about Will. he says, this is going to be the best thing that's ever happened to us because with our first step of, of world towning and slow traveling, we became closer as a family and learned how to work better as a team. And this is the next step for that. Because mm. if you don't learn to work well as a team and be cognizant of others, emotions, good days, bad days, workload, homeschool, whatever, you're going to kill each other. I mean, it's, you know, it, it, well, you want to add? No, I mean, with, 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 with this new transition, it's, it's just, it's, it's a real challenge. I mean, we are 
I mean, last year, both the kids were in traditional schools and this year we're going to homeschooling. Then we're in a small space, um, you know, and we're trying to get, you know, ourselves allowing an, uh, enough time to get a business set up right. or, or sort of going. Right. Um, so essentially we are, we're, we're out there and, you know, time is, is a constant, but our demands on our time is what's always growing. Right. And we've added, you know, another obstacle where we're responsible for our home, right? So when the toilet clogs, there's no one to call. When the handle breaks off the toilet for two months, <laughs> it was two months. Yes, it was two months. Um, you know, you have to stay in Munich for three weeks while they order the parts. So it's definitely a transition. However, I, I agree with Will because I'm starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel that, this is the best thing that could have happened to us. And each transition is different and we grow closer as a family and as individuals. And I, we're really starting to see the transition in the kids. And it is, it's, it's just amazing how, you know, it's amazing how we're actually able to create a new normal, right? I, you know, I, I hate the word normal because everyone's normal is different. And I feel like we're constantly, you know, modifying that normal and right now we're in the transition, or I should say coming out of the transition of modifying it again. I mean, you can, it's crazy how much you can just adapt and when you don't think you do. People from the outside looking in, I could never live in that or I could never do that. But you're like, yeah, you, you probably could. No, I, I totally agree. And that's, that's what, that's what is amazing is that people always say to me, oh, how's the space thing? And frankly, the space thing is bothers Will more than it does me. I don't mind being in the small space. It's just a little challenging with work sometimes if, if it's raining and we can't use the outside space. But overall, the space is not the issue. It's the combination of all of it, right? And then trying to maintain the home. Because you know, with an RV, it's uh, it's not quite like a sailboat in that it's a full-time job of maintenance, but it's it's got maintenance, you know? I mean, I don't know how your RV is, but, you know, ours, we have, it's very common here to have the cassette. So we have to, you know, we have to dump the poop every couple of days, that kind of stuff, you know? And it takes time. It's not as easy as just flushing and it goes to this special place, right? right. Well, do you want to add anything? <laughs> the issue is, and right now it, it's raining. I'm just looking up and sort of wondering if you can hear this. But essentially, I mean, one of the big things also is that Europe, Europe is a very rainy spot, um, yeah. especially during certain times of the year, which this happens to be one of them. If you're out boondocking for like three or four days and it's raining or it's heavily cloudy, uh, you won't be able to charge your solar panels. So, yeah. you know, you have to get into a campground and just juice up or you have to just run right. the motor all the time. You don't see a lot of people here with, with generators. So essentially, uh, you know, you're either plugged in or you've got the car running. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I have a, some questions on work, but I, I had another question I, I meant to ask earlier, which was, have you guys actually driven the RV into like downtown Paris? No, but no. we've driven it to the second largest city in France, which is Marseille. And we drove it, and we drove it through uh, Monaco. And we drove it through Monaco. And we drove it through um, Munich. With those cities uh, and with other places like Paris or whatever, have you been parking kind of outside the city and taking public transit in or how's that worked? Yeah, in Paris, we found a campground. What was it for? 40 minutes? Not even 40 minutes outside the city of Paris, right? It's about like 35 minutes. 35 minutes. Railway. So it was a 10-minute walk to public transportation. And then we took the public transportation into Paris. And, you know, hung out and did our thing and what and went to the Apple store more times than we want to count. And, you know, I mean, it was it was great. So that's the only really huge city that we visited that we needed to park outside. And honestly, at that point, since we were in the beginning of our travels, we never we didn't really did we even look for boondocking or any place even closer to the city to stay. I think we just defaulted to the campground because we said we needed to stack the cards in our favor since we had only been in the RV 
for like two weeks. For like two weeks. And and for so me, it might even be possible to get closer to the city than we were. And for me, I mean, that's kind of my ideal form of travel right now. Like we're we're probably 30, 40 minutes outside of Boston where we're camped right now. And I mean, for my our first year on the road, we did the whole I'm going to drive my 29 foot RV into a big city in parallel park in downtown Seattle or L.A. <laughs> and it just wasn't worth the stress for me. It was like my whole life is in here. I was worried about it while we're out traveling, because you know, like while we're out exploring the city, my laptops, all our video equipment, whatever. And That's I was how- like, it's just not worth it for me. I will go happily pay for a campground for the night and I'll just drive my little tow car into the city and have a much better time. I don't need to be there all that. So I, I kind of see us exploring Europe in some of the same ways. Like, sure, if we need to, you know, we'll have a small RV so we can take it into those places. But I kind of I have a little bit of anxiety about leaving all my stuff. And it's just I don't know. Sometimes it's easier for me to just say I'm going to leave it. I'm going to take public transit in. I'm going to enjoy my life and I have to worry about parking or anything else. And not only that, but I mean, I and, totally and, and the total advantage of being in a campground for for, you know, extended periods of time, meaning more than two nights is that, you know, the whole breaking down and setting up and putting everything away you know, that's that's a huge time commitment that, you know, takes away from your ability just to get everything else done. And I don't think we have that much stuff, but we we have a really small storage space. So it all has to spit, fit in there strategically. It's not like just throw it in like it's like this goes by this and fits to this like a puzzle. So it is it is a lot of, kind of work getting it all in there and getting it set up. I, would, I totally would agree. You know, it's funny. Another thing I hate to admit, but to me, besides anything happening to my children or will or sunshine, um, the next worst thing would be if someone stole my computer and I have it backed up and everything. So when we are parked in areas and go out for the day that I'm not particularly comfortable with, we always take our cameras with us cause we're always shooting, but I carry my, my laptop in my backpack and that, that gets old. You know, your back starts to hurt, your neck hurts, you know, obviously what if you get mugged as well? You know, there's all these things to think about, although I don't, I don't worry about that kind of stuff too much, but it is really convenient just leaving it in some place, you know, is safe in a campsite and taking public transportation. How do you guys be productive in such a small space with four of you in the RV? Hmm, Depends on the weather. We're still trying to come up with an answer for that one. <laughs> We're still trying to figure that out. Gotcha. Okay. First, noise canceling headphones. Okay. Usually someone has those on. I think we're going to need to get another set because we only have one. You know, we live in a small space, so we have a lot of really honest conversations with our children about us needing to get work done and then need to focus on their work. And if they need a space or time or if they need to go outside, we have to be very honest with each other if we're having a bad day, you know, whatever the situation may be, because we are in a small space. And when one person's having a bad day, it can really make it difficult for everyone else to get their work done. And if we're aware that someone's having a bad day and we're able to kind of work through this and talk through it, it helps. But I, I would have to say, I don't think we have found the secret sauce yet. And maybe there is no secret sauce. Maybe you just work with what you have and you make it, you know, you make it roll. Um, The kids have online classes that are in in group classes with other kids where they're speaking. They have language classes on Skype. So there's always someone talking out loud in the RV. And and for anyone who has a hard time or needs quiet, it can be very difficult. But we do have the noise canceling headphones. How how else will, how else do we? I mean, we sit up outside. I mean, the outside is, is the, you know, the backyard, which we can utilize if the weather's fine. So when it's raining, it's really difficult. I mean, Will and I often work a lot of early mornings or late nights or weekends when the kids are either sleeping or outside playing um, just because we need, to, we need to be able to kind of hyper-focus. And, you know, it's not always that easy. We also have, we just started doing meal nights. So everyone has a meal that they cook one night a week, um, Monday through Thursday. And then Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, we kind of wing it. Sometimes it's leftovers. Sometimes we go out to eat. Sometimes someone has something they want to make up, make, you know, make. 
But during the week, everyone knows that they have their night, that they're responsible for cooking. So that kind of takes some pressure off the other three and gives them the opportunity to be more productive later in the day. Or like on Tuesdays, the kids have classes really late. So I'm, I cook on Tuesdays. Um, and most nights we have dinner together, but on Tuesdays, because everyone has different schedules and are in classes at different time, I make the food and then I just kind of give it to each person at the table, you know, when they're in between their classes. I think we're still trying to figure out ways, you know, to be more productive. Will and I, Will and I don't feel like we're as productive as we could be. Yeah. We're, I mean, we're looking forward to a lot of these countries where they say that, you know, the boondocking opportunities are amazing. Like in Greece, you know, when around, around Germany and Austria, there's not really a lot of spacious areas you can park for the night if you want to sort of get away from the campground. Yeah, boondocking is more a parking lot. Right, and, and even when you're in a campground, they're not they're not especially large, the spaces that you get. So, you know, if you want to set up a hammock or something like that, you know, you may have to wait until you get to the next country. But, you know, there's enough space you can get around. If, you know, the weather's nice outside, then you can just make the best of it. Um, Heath, maybe you have some tips. <laughs> you uh, want to share I will let you know when I have kids, uh, how I am productive while they're in a close proximity. Um, <laughs> one last question I had for you guys, actually a couple more questions, but one was what just overall piece of advice would you give for anyone who is currently trying to plan a transition to go live abroad, uh, whether that be in an RV or, you know, in an apartment for just a longer period of time? They should call us and let us help them. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Yeah, just call Shameless them. And... Plug. Okay, so you want me to go first? Okay. My first thing would be, I think I like I love the whole Nike just do it thing. But we have seen so many people who want to go out and do this as a lifestyle choice for multiple years, and they get on the road and they didn't plan pro properly, mostly financially, and then they find themselves back home within six months. So I would say, do as much as you can before you leave your um, home country. If you are going to start homeschooling, start it before you go. If you want to start a remote location independent business or start working for your company remotely, start it before you leave. Do as much as you can beforehand and then save as much money as you can beforehand so that the transition is going to be really difficult regardless, period. That's a given. So stack the cards in your favor and make sure that you have a smoother transition because of that. And make sure you don't have to worry about money in those first couple of months. Because if you're sitting there worrying about, oh, my gosh, we're going to run out of money at the six-month mark, it's really difficult to be creative and productive and enjoy the journey. So that's that's kind of my little tidbit. And um, and my other thing is, you know, don't wait too long. Um, you know, I Will and I, Will and I are glad we did it, but we wish we would have went sooner. And, uh, you know, it's just don't wait too long. Just do it. You know, just mm -hmm. go and do it. You know, plan, but do it. Will? No, I, I would agree with, with the whole idea of just, you know, and Heath, and you've mentioned this before in other podcasts, you know, make sure you have enough runway to make this a success because otherwise, you know, you're going to be kicking yourself and, and it's just not going to be, you know, a fun experience. I love it. And last question for you guys is how do y'all define success for your, you and your family as y'all are now RVing through Europe and growing uh, your business on the road? Oh, well, for me, it's, it's happiness. As long as we're happy. So that's success for me. Obviously, we still need to put food on the table and be professionally and personally fulfilled. But but for me, um, as long as my family's happy and I'm happy and Will's happy, that's that's success for me. Right. And the hard part for that is essentially finding the the time to make it work right. Because, you know, between 
the school and and work and and sort of trying and to, wanting to see the place and wanting to see everything at, you're yeah. at. You know, yeah. it, it could be very stressful. So you know, if you can, you know, once again, like stack the cards in your favor, saying that you know we're not going to see everything and we're not going to stress out over it, but what we are going to see is going to be something really magnificent. And and the cool part about this, and and this is something that Jessica and I have been talking a lot about, is that. When we're in a place like Munich and we're seeing Oktoberfest, you know, Oktoberfest is cool and it's nice to see, you know, everyone dressed up in the, in the dirndls and, and the lederhosen and, you know, going to the beer tents and see people singing. And that's excellent. But at the end of the day, it doesn't replace the joy that you get sort of by all of us sitting in this cramped space, <laughs> having really cool conversation, you know, and it's almost like finding joy in the journey that, you know, you at the end of the day, yeah, you know, we have some great photos that we can post on Instagram regarding us in Oktoberfest, but but that's not the true joy. That's not the true happiness that we're getting out of this. It's I know, just being together as a family. We're sounding so new agey, but, you know, that's a reality. Will and I, you know, through the process of this whole journey, Will started out with a lot of fears with traveling, and he was able to overcome, not fears of traveling, but the financial aspect of doing this and doing it on our own when we first left, and he was able to overcome them. My biggest fear, and it's still it's still part of my life today, and I think it's a fear I'm I'm quite content living with, is the fear of regret. So if I can go to bed each night and say, okay, I'm happy with my family, we've got our health, I'm happy with what we're doing, I'm not going to wake up with them eight when I'm 80 and say, I really wish we would have done this with our kids. Why did we Why did we wait? Why did we stress about these things, this and that? If I can go to bed happy each night that, that we're on the path we should be on or that we want to be on, and maybe it's not other people's path, and maybe it's not what people call normal, but it works for us and it makes us happy then that's that's success i love it where can uh people connect more and learn from you guys um you can find us world towning instagram facebook youtube uh pretty much all social social media we're world towning yeah we post weekly videos on youtube and our instagram we post daily, daily photos yeah we're not really big on Twitter. We should be, but we're not. We're not big on Pinterest, um, but we only have so many hours in the day. <laughs> and part of this journey is enjoying and spending time with our kids. So as much as Will and I are, are somewhat um, workaholics, we're, we're really making an effort to balance it better. <laughs> I love it. Well, thank you guys so much for taking time to be on the podcast and tell Avalon and Largo I said hello. I will. Thank will you for do. having us. It was Hi. really fun. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. To grab the show notes, head on over to heathandalyssa.com and click on podcasts. I want to give one more quick shout out to today's sponsor, WeBoost and Passport America. I seriously could not make this podcast happen without the support of sponsors. They allow me to hire a podcast editor and not that the podcast is extremely profitable, it's not, but having a couple sponsors on each episode that is relatable and that you guys can get value from uh, really goes a long way. So I appreciate you guys allowing me to put some sponsors up on this podcast and hopefully you guys get to hear about some cool products and information from them. All right, I'll see you guys next time on the RV Entrepreneur Podcast.